from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 45, and can be found on page 1002 in your Bibles in front of you. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 45. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out out with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing... You can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Let us pray. Father, take these words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. For we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to be with you. We've had a a great day 
at St. Michael's, and uh, I hope we'll be back again. We will certainly bring greetings to Rosemary. I think uh, we have several hundred people who already talked to us about bringing greetings to Rosemary, so she will be very glad to receive those. And we will also bring your greetings to, to all of our other people. Our, our people in Gabella are thrilled about the fact that we are going to Rosemary's church. So it will be uh, a cause of rejoicing when we get back. Uh, this, is a, this is a big chunk of scripture that we're going to look at today. Uh, it, it's a passage which uh, has at least four scenes in it. A couple of these scenes could be subdivided if we wanted to. But this, this, this passage covers 24 hours or less in the life and ministry of Jesus. Actually, the first 24 hours, it seems, of Jesus' ministry after his baptism and his temptation. He comes into Capernaum, uh, and he goes into the synagogue, he goes into Peter's house, he, he goes and prays in a desert place, and then he goes out and, and heals a leper, all within this 24-hour period. It's, it's a rich passage uh, and stunning in its scope, really, because it shows that Jesus' ministry is what we would call in Africa a holistic ministry. It's not uh, limited to one sphere of a person's life or one sphere of human activity. Jesus' ministry is a ministry of teaching and proclamation. It's a ministry of healing. And the, and the text says that Jesus healed all kinds of diseases, not just one kind. He didn't specialize in cancer or something. And it says that he drove out demons. Uh, so there are spiritual dimensions uh, dimensions of the mind and the body, all involved in what Jesus is doing. The other thing about this this chunk of scripture is that uh, it, the pace is incredibly quick. Uh, the The translation we just read uh, used synonyms for for a word that Mark uses repeatedly in this passage, and the word is usually translated immediately. And Jesus went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And a few verses later, and immediately he left the synagogue and went into the house of Simon. And immediately he, they told him about uh, Peter's mother-in-law. It, the pace is very quick, so much so that some scholars say, well, Mark must just mean, he must use the word immediately just as a kind of a comma, a pause, but I, there's much more to it than that, I think. Jesus' uh, ministry is, at this stage at least, is fast-paced, and things are coming at him uh, one after another. This happened, then this happened. Uh, and he has to rely on uh, the Holy Spirit, which has come on him at his baptism, to uh, minister to people in, in this area of Capernaum. There is not a huge amount of time to examine this rich text. I was, I was warned a bit this morning that uh, 15, 20 minutes would be enough. I was told that this evening would be a little more relaxed, but it is dangerous. I'm an African bishop, and African bishops do have a tendency to keep going. Uh, I have a friend who is an archbishop in Nigeria, and he was told at a conference that he had 45 minutes and so he introduced himself, and that took about 15. And then he said, okay, now you can start timing me. So uh, it took a little more than 45 minutes, so I won't do that today. So we'll look at these four scenes, and then after those four scenes, there is one surprise 
that I want us to look at from this passage. Well, the first scene is in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is a real place. You can go there in Capernaum, which is a little fishing village on the shore of uh, Lake, the Lake, Lake Galilee. There, uh, there was a synagogue, and it was founded in the first century. The foundation is there. Uh, it was later built over so that right, right now there are pillars and a beautiful foundation of a, a, a marvelous 4th or 5th century Byzantine synagogue, but you can see a bit of the, the original foundation under the floor. That's, this is a real place. This happened in real space and real time. So Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching. And then it says there was an unclean spirit. So the first miracle Jesus does in his ministry, as far as Mark is concerned, probably the first miracle of his ministry, is a spiritual battle. It's an exorcism. And this sets the tone for Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry is not simply helping people or helping people to get along a little more. The first letter of John tells us that the Son of God came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Spiritual battle at the beginning of Mark sets the tone for the whole gospel. This reminds us that the gospel of Mark sets itself in the context of the bigger story of the whole Bible. Because, of course, at the beginning of Genesis, we have the story of God creating a good world, a world which is fit for, his, for, for human creatures to take care of. And yet, very close to the beginning of that story, we also hear of how that world was ruined. Yes, by human sin, and because of sin, death entered the world, but there is someone else involved in that story as well. There is the tempter, the ancient serpent, as he is called in the book of Revelation, the devil who tempts Eve and Adam, and they fall. Because of that fall, our world is in utter chaos. But Jesus comes into Capernaum and he drives out the evil spirit. The world that has been ruined by sin is beginning to see a new thing. And that is the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus came to preach. It says earlier in Mark chapter 1. He came to preach, proclaim the kingdom of God. But he not only preached it, he demonstrated it. This first miracle is a demonstration that there is another kind of rule that is being inaugurated in the ministry of Jesus. So that's where this, this passage starts, with this scene in the synagogue in which Jesus drives out this demon and restores this poor demon-possessed man to a right mind. The second scene is in Peter's house, or Simon's house. Now, if you go to Capernaum, and you go into the synagogue, and then you leave and walk a block away, you will get to Peter's house. There is a place there which has been restored by archaeologists, and, and many people believe this was the scene where the place where this next scene took place. And that's because there is Christian graffiti that has been found that goes back there many, many centuries uh, and has been built over. It was obviously a place of pilgrimage for the early church. So in Peter's house, two things happen. The first thing that happens, Mark says immediately, 
they, they told him about Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick with a fever. And Jesus takes her by the hand, and it says, he raised her up. Now, it's an interesting phrase. It, it means not only that he healed her, but something else I think is going on here in Mark's language. This is the same verb that is used at the end of Mark's gospel to talk about God raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus raised up this woman, just as at the end of the gospel, Jesus is going to be raised from death. There is a hint here, I think, that the the ministry of Jesus is a ministry which brings life. We will come back to that. Now, there's a bit of an uncomfortable bit in this story, and that is that it says that after she was raised up, she immediately began to serve. This is uncomfortable because, of course, many people will say, ah, this is just another example of that patriarchal Christian religion imposing itself on women and forcing women to serve. Isn't she a bit tired after being sick? Shouldn't she rest a bit? Why does she have to serve? Why don't the men do something? Well, actually, you know, there's something more to that word serve in this text Uh, than would be implied by that kind of idea. Yes, she gets up and she serves. Yes, women were expected to serve, but there, there is more to it. Remember the story of Mary and Martha found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Martha is, is working in the kitchen and getting anxious, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, that Mary, Martha, you shouldn't be concerned about this. She has chosen a better way. So there is a, a relativization of that patriarchy in the biblical text. But there's something else in Mark's gospel as well. Because the idea of servanthood is mentioned uh, near the end of the gospel. As Jesus is beginning to approach Jerusalem, and he's beginning to explain more and more to his disciples about what is going to happen in Jerusalem, that he is going to be handed over, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die on a cross and then be raised from the dead. He describes his own ministry by saying this, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So actually, Peter's mother-in-law serves as an example of what Jesus is going to do that he is the servant of God. He is the suffering servant. She is just one example of what it means to be someone who encounters Jesus, finds new life, and then is empowered to serve. And of course, it's not just Peter's mother-in-law and Jesus who are described as servants, but Jesus says to his disciples that that is the way they they should live that they should become servants, that the rulers of the Gentiles want to lord it over people. But if you want to be great, you must be a servant of all. Not because you're a woman. This applies to men, to women, to black, white, red, yellow, Jew, Gentile, because Jesus himself came to serve. We are also commissioned to be servants. We had a, a little... Uh, an interesting little cultural issue in Gambella a few months ago. We decided, um, partly because our people 
who come to work at our Gambella Center usually come not having eaten anything. Most people in Gambella eat one meal a day. So it's actually very difficult when you're working all day in the heat to have much energy. So we decided we would give them tea and something to eat after devotions. But we began to notice uh, that the uh, two of our staff, two ladies who made the tea, were ending up washing all the dishes. So we organized something so that there'd be some, some wash water and some rinse water so everybody had to wash their own cup. This was a little difficult for a couple of our male staff that they had to wash their own cup, but they got over it. Uh, it maybe it helps that the bishop washed his own cup. Uh, but it's, it's important for us to notice that when Jesus heals someone and they are then able to serve, this is not limited to a certain category of people, but we are all called to this service uh, by the gospel and by Jesus' example on the cross in which he gave his life as a ransom for many. Notice also that in this passage, uh, it's not only Peter's mother-in-law who is healed, but after the sun goes down, that is after the Sabbath has ended and people are able once again to move around, people in the town who no doubt have heard what happened in the synagogue bring all their sick and demon-possessed relatives and friends to Peter's house so that Jesus can heal them. They wait till the Sabbath is ended, but they want something from God. And it says that Jesus healed them all, and they had various kinds of diseases. You see, there is nothing too difficult for Jesus. Jesus can deal with whatever problems, whatever situations we find ourselves in, just as he did that day in Capernaum. Well, we fast forward a bit to the next morning. Uh, and the next morning, uh, the disciples wake up. There are four disciples at this point. Simon and Andrew, his brother, and James and John. Jesus hasn't called all 12 yet, but they get up in the morning and they can't find Jesus. Jesus has snuck off somewhere. It says in some translations he has gone to a lonely place. Uh, the word is actually a desert place or a deserted place. He's gone to a place where he will be able to be alone. It then says literally that the disciples hunted for him. Uh, they looked for him, so, but they hunted him down uh, like a kind of prey who they needed to get a hold of. Uh, Jesus, though, needed to be alone. He needed to have time with his father. It's actually Luke's gospel that emphasizes this dimension of Jesus' ministry most often. At every turning point in Jesus' ministry, Luke tells us before a decision is made, before a new thing happens, that Jesus went off by himself and prayed. Well, here Mark tells us the same thing. It's, it's, yes, it's partly that Jesus wanted to, simply to spend time with his father, wanted to commune with his father, but also he needed direction for where the ministry was going to go next. So the disciples find him and they say, everybody is looking for you. And Jesus said, we have to leave here and we have to go to the other towns because that is why I have come. That is why I have come. Now, some people read that as meaning that he's come from Nazareth and he's come here. And I think there's more to it than, than this. Literally, it says, this is why I have come out. 
I think Mark very subtly is telling us that there is more to this man, Jesus, than simply a human life. The Gospel of John emphasizes this more than the other Gospels. It is a major theme in John's letter that Jesus was sent into the world. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. Jesus has come out. He has come from God. He has come to mount a rescue operation for the world. And so he is not going to stay in one place. He is going to travel around and preach and, and exhibit the kingdom of God in many towns and villages. Well, now we go to the final scene, the fourth scene. As Jesus is going out, uh, the first person he seems to meet on this, the, uh, this last part of this 24-hour period is a leper. Now, leprosy uh, in the Bible is a rather uh, ambiguous term. It can apply to any kind of skin disease. But in the Old Testament, people were very concerned about what kind of skin disease this might be. So everyone who had some kind of a skin disease was isolated because, of course, some skin diseases were contagious. And so lepers were segregated from the rest of the community. They had to live outside of the villages. They had to carry bells with them. If they saw other people coming close, they had to ring the bell and say, unclean, unclean, and people would know to walk away. But something different happens in this story because the leper, instead of telling people to go away, sees Jesus. I'm not sure how he learned about Jesus. But he sees Jesus and he comes to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, if you are able, you can make me clean. The impression we have is that he comes and he, it actually says that he kneels down. But the impression we get is that he is begging, imploring Jesus, maybe even grabbing, his, grabbing him by the knees and telling Jesus that he needs help. If you, if you are able, you can heal me. And Jesus is able, but he is also willing. So Jesus' response to the man is, I am willing, be clean. But before that, Mark says this, and this is, this is again a difficulty. It was a difficulty for the early church, and some early Greek manuscripts changed the word, and some of our English Bibles have used the word they changed it to. And so many of our translations say Jesus was moved with compassion. I think he was moved with compassion for the man, and we'll see why we know that in a second. But actually, before that, it says Jesus moved with anger, well, he wasn't angry with the man, I don't think. He wasn't angry with this poor man suffering from leprosy. He was angry at what he saw as the disfigurement of God's good creature who had been living such a horrible, difficult life, isolated from other human beings. And so in his anger at that disease, Jesus said, I am willing, and he touched him and said, be clean. He touched him because this man needed not only to be healed of his disease, he needed to be healed of his isolation, the psychological wounds which have come from being uh, in such a state of being isolated from other human beings. And that brings us to the surprise. We've seen the four scenes, Jesus in the synagogue, Jesus in Peter's house, Jesus 
off praying in a lonely place and Jesus healing a leper. But now there's a surprise. At least it's a surprise for us who live in the Western world because there's something here which is actually different from the way we look at the world. In the, in the Greek of the first story in the synagogue, it doesn't say that Jesus uh, encountered a man with an evil spirit or with, a demon, or with a demon. It says, a man with an unclean spirit. And that unclean spirit says to Jesus, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. The leper, when he comes to Jesus, says, you can make me clean. He doesn't say simply, you can heal me. He says, you can make me clean. And Jesus makes him clean unnecessarily by touching him. Jesus could have healed him at a distance. He did that at at other periods in his ministry. He healed people from a distance. But here Jesus deliberately touches him. These are shocking things, as you all know from your very extensive study of the book of Leviticus. I know that's probably the favorite book of most of you here. The book of Leviticus is about the holiness of God. Uh, There is a refrain throughout the book of Leviticus, you shall be holy because the Lord your God is holy. Holiness in the book of Leviticus is related to this uh, synonymous idea of cleanness. Leviticus divides the world into things that are clean and things that are unclean. So, for example, there are some animals that the people of Israel are allowed to eat, and they are described as clean. There are some animals that the people of Israel are not allowed to eat, and they are described as unclean. Many of those animals you probably eat. Uh, Shellfish, pigs, uh, uh, bacon is one of my favorite things. What does this mean? Well, let's come back to that in a second. It's not only animals that are divided into these two categories. People are sometimes clean, sometimes not clean. Some people are unclean all the time. Gentiles are basically unclean. Samaritans, definitely unclean. Actually, the Mishnah, not not the book of Leviticus, but the Mishnah, which was written after the New Testament, says that Samaritans are unclean from birth. Uh, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other very much. Even in in the Gospel of John, when Jesus asks for water from the woman at the well, uh, she is surprised. And John says that she is surprised because Jews do not use with Samaritans. They don't use the same utensils because Samaritans are unclean. But even Jews are unclean from time to time. Women, for example, are unclean for seven days uh, when they are bleeding. People are unclean if they touch a dead body. People are unclean if their shadow passes over a dead body. Well, not only animals and people are unclean, places are unclean. The Holy of Holies in the temple or the tabernacle is the most holy place. The rest of the tabernacle or the temple is holy, but not as holy as the the most holy place. Jerusalem is also holy, a little less holy than the temple. Israel is a little less holy than Jerusalem. Uh, The world outside of Israel, well, not so much. A little bit uh, sub-holy. 
So you see, the world is divided into these categories. People have speculated for a long time about the meaning of this. They've tried to say that, well, you know, it's more healthy to eat the clean animals than the unclean animals. It doesn't seem that that's actually the case. Cleanness and uncleanness is related to a concept which we are much more familiar with, and that is the concept of life and death. In the symbol system of, of Leviticus, unclean things point to death and clean things point to life. Animals that have the wrong things, as far as Israel was concerned, the wrong kind of hooves, or live in, they're, they're, they live in the water but they're not fish, uh, those things point to a problem in the world, a chaotic dimension of the world. People who are bleeding, a woman who is bleeding is losing life. Places that are far from the presence of God are places that are far from the source of life. This is clearly seen in another place in the Gospel of Mark, and that's in chapter 5. In chapter 5, there are three stories. The first is that Jesus encounters a demoniac who is, because he has an unclean spirit, is unclean. He is living among the tombs, and a dead body is as unclean, unholy as you can get. And when Jesus casts out the demons, where do they go? They go into the pigs, the, unclean, the ultimate in unclean animals. Then Jesus moves from there, and he encounters a woman with the flow of blood who is afraid even to talk to Jesus. She sneaks up behind him and steals her healing by touching his robe. And then he goes into the house of a man named Jairus and takes a little girl who has died by the hand and raises her up. So demonic possession, pigs, tombs, blood, dead body, all of these things point to uncleanness. But when Jesus comes, life comes. You see, what should have happened when the woman with the flow of blood touched Jesus or when Jesus touched the leper, what should have happened was that the contagion of uncleanness should have come on Jesus. He should have become unclean. But just the opposite happens. When you encounter Jesus, life happens. Jesus doesn't become unclean. The one he touches or the one who touches him becomes clean. This is, this is an image of what the gospel does for the world. The gospel takes a world that is in the midst of suffering, sin, unholiness, and the gospel offers life through Jesus. Where Jesus is, there is life. Where he goes, death is defeated. So what does this passage teach us? This passage teaches us that Jesus came. He came into the world not to be served, but to serve by teaching, by healing, by uh, cleansing, by driving out unclean spirits, and ultimately by dying on the cross, by trampling down death. One of the songs we sang said a similar thing about death being crushed by the death of Jesus and then rising from the tomb, 
demonstrated the defeat of sin and death and all evil. So this first day in the ministry of Jesus helps us to look forward to the end of the ministry of Jesus, the purpose, the fulfillment of the ministry of Jesus, his death and resurrection, not just for these isolated individuals or or even crowds of people that came to Jesus in Galilee, but for the sin, for the suffering of the whole world. Where Jesus is, there is life. Where he goes, death is defeated. That is the authority that Jesus has. That is the ultimate authority which we see that people are amazed at on this day. Authority in his teaching and in his actions. Let us pray.